Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hi, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. You know, there's a lot at stake when B2B industrial buyers shop for safety products. The data's got to be right, and these days, it's got to be digital. Sean Donovan, Digital Channel Manager for the Americas at MSA, the safety company, sat down with me and B2B whisperer Justin King to discuss his strategy for making sure every channel partner has the data they need to build the trust needed to buy. Sean, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, and you've been at MSA Safety for over 20 years now, across sales, marketing, regional management, strategic account management. How the heck did you end up being in charge of digital? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, first of all, for having me. I uh, appreciate it. Um, yeah, so it, it, you're right. I, I have had multiple uh, roles and, and a bunch of functions within uh, MSA. And ended back into the what we call our strategic account group, which is uh, managing our strategic channel partners a few years ago. And at that point, I, I really identified a need and a miss uh, on our side is to you know, how to how to manage and control our um, our online content and what we provided obviously to our strategic accounts and also to at that point uh, up and coming new digital channels that we had, um, you know, like what kind of policies do we need in place? Uh, you know, what kind of website policies, what kind of um, programs did we need in place for our channel partners? We started to look at, you know, obviously there's more um, e-commerce specific channel partners that really only deal online as opposed to uh, partners that we were used to that had brick and mortar. Um, so, you know, how do we fit those in our program? And then what sort of tech stack do we need to satisfy our, um, uh, our partners and to satisfy the whole program? I mean, our, our program really the strategy is really to be where our customers are and you know to where they want to transact and then to try and leverage our channel partners to do that so you know what kind of technology do we need to do that so that's the kind of things i was looking at and i realized that we had a, we had a hole in our organization so so like so I, many other your roles you just decided well i'll fill it then <laughs> kind of like that yeah i backed myself into that one i was like oh gosh i identified a problem and someone said great fix it <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> and, and part of that was just realizing this, this wave is coming. Uh, we have digital only partners, our current you know, strategic partners and others need to become digital if they're going to survive. And, and you thought we need to figure out what is the structure that we need to get ahead of it. Exactly. Yeah. Sean, you've, I know you've been involved in the sales process um, for, for quite some time, which, which I think is kind of unique coming into digital, right? For, for someone that was been part of the company to, you know, part of the, all these different functions to take care of digital. Um, but but what, what have you seen as the, the new experiences that buyers are expecting, right? Have buyers expectations really changed um, from what they were in your past different roles? So you're right. I think it is fairly unique, my coming into this from a sales side of it. But I think that that also enables me to see it from the sales side and see the actual buying process. And that, I'm not sure that it's necessarily their needs have changed. It's the, the way in which those needs are fulfilled and, and, and um, uh, you know, you've given everything to them that they need in a different manner than you did 20, 10, 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, you've now got a guy who is, uh, especially this last year, 
who on one screen is buying for uh, his home. He's on his Amazon account buying his shopping or his groceries, whatever. And then another screen, he's doing his work business. Um, and his job is to buy product. And he, and, and he has similar expectations now. He goes from the one to the other. Um, you know, 10 years ago, he would be using a totally different platform for that. He'd be using a an office computer that had a, a specialized um, ERP system that would punch out an, an order and it'd be a, a paper document and that would get faxed across or emailed across or whatever it is. And nowadays it's a very, very similar process to what he's using to buy from home. So it, it, it looks similar, although it's very different at the back end, but you know, the, the front end looks pretty similar. So it, it's changed. It's not, not his needs haven't changed. It's the way he's going about it that have changed. So, I mean, you're talking a little bit like the consumerization of B2B. Is that, is that what it really all is? Is it just the, is it really just kind of B2B wanting to look like B2C? Um, are there, are there, I mean, are there different, are there kind of core differences that you see for, for what you guys experience versus someone like a retailer or a retail brand might experience? I, I think, you know, Looking at it from a pure uh, front-end perspective where you see a website, it looks very, very similar. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the catch is people look at that and go, well, that's all we have to duplicate. It's just a matter of making it you know, similar to look what uh, a consumer website looks like, an e-commerce website looks like. Um, but it is very different on the back end. You know, you've got a totally different type of customer that you're actually, although... It looks the same, they're very different. You've got a repeat buyer with long-standing relationships. You have a far more complex purchasing process that involves multiple people um, at times. Uh, you know, it has a much longer uh, time period as well. You've got personalized pricing that you have to be able to afford. You have to be able to you know, offer different payment options, including punch-out systems so that it works with their own ERP system. Um, so, and it's, and it's not just about pretty pictures. Uh, these aren't uh, impulse buyers. These are people that do this for a, a job. This is their living. This is what they do. Uh, you know, the details are incredibly important. Uh, you, you buy the wrong piece of safety equipment and someone could die. So there's a <laughs> big, a big difference. difference. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little different than uh, my doggy treats that I get in the mail from Amazon now. Exactly. So <laughs> although, although the conception or look at it, it looks similar. I think there's a big difference on the back end of how it actually, you know, what you've got to provide to the uh, customer, the level of detail you need to provide to them, you know, the type of content. It, it is very, very different. Uh, and I think people often look at them and think they're, they're, they're easy to, to uh, you know, to duplicate. They're not. Yeah. You know, whenever there's sort of this provocative call to arms, like Andy Hoare several years ago doing the B2B salesman is dead and then uh, at Forrester, and then you've got the consumerization of B2B. They're important things to say because they wake people up, right? They, they focus someone's attention on, okay, this is going to be a dramatic shift that we need to think about over a multi-year timeframe. But to me, that, that, that iceberg that lies underneath that is this, yes, you're trying to deliver the, the joy and the convenience and the ease and the transparency of the consumer relationship, but the iceberg that's underneath is incredibly complicated. And so it's actually even a harder job to make that work that in some ways, because of the consumerization pressure almost needs to happen faster because people, you know, they don't think about the complexity that's underneath. They just want their thing when they want it. Exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of it is that. And then the consumerization certainly has driven the need to, to uh, improve the speed and increase the speed of this uh, 
um, change, but it's, yeah, it's definitely a little bit more complicated than I, I would say more complicated on the B2C side. I, I'm an impulsive buyer. I look at a pretty picture and I go, oh, that's nice. I'll buy it. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> I don't look at all the details. I don't look at how, whether it's, you know, what type of product or what type of material it is. I don't look at all the standards it meets. I don't, I, I often, it just looks nice. I'm like, I'll buy it. That's, and it's not going to affect anybody but me. Yeah. Right. Do you, Sean, you, when you talk about, you, you started talking about digital and you mentioned you, you really emphasize your channel partners in the e-commerce experience. When, when you think about e-commerce and the priorities, I guess, within e-commerce, is it, is it about, is it about your own e-commerce, like providing e-commerce yourselves, or is it about enabling your channel partners to do e-commerce? Like what's, what's the priority when you guys have started out? For us, it's enabling our channel partners and providing mm -hmm. the content to them. Um, and the reason for that is you know, a lot of our channel partners have already invested significant amounts of money in, uh, into e-commerce systems and, mm -hmm. and are, you know, working really hard to perfect those. They can offer the, um, <clears throat> you know, the good back-end payment options, the, the discounts. They have the product assortment, which we don't have. They have a, a customer base that we don't necessarily have that is much wider than what we have. So, you know, for us to focus on it ourselves, you know, in my mind is, is, a, is a little bit uh, self-defeating, whereas to fo focus and partner with channel partners really makes it, uh, you know, reach much wider. Um, you know, we're really going to be able to capitalize and leverage what they've already, the investments they've already made and, uh, you know, their, their massive uh, customer base that they already have. Right. So I know that you guys won't brag on yourselves, but a few months ago, you both produced the highest attended session at B2B online. It had a 97% stay rate all through the end. Um, I, I don't think our podcast has that. Um, so I, I'd be betraying our audience if I didn't dig into what made all those people stick around. And I remember listening to it that it somehow started out at the Masters Golf Tournament. Justin, <laughs> is that your fault? <laughs> you know, I always start with a story. Always, always, always. Uh, I don't even know if I remember how the story ties in. I don't even know if that's as important <laughs> as the story was. It was a good story, Justin. <laughs> it was a great story. I just don't remember exactly how it applied. No, oh, man, no. I, I mean, we... The, the, the whole purpose of the session was really to talk about... Really, what Sean just talked about is... Um, for a manufacturer, the, there's, a, there's a difference between what a manufacturer does and a distributor does. And there's a difference when you talk even about commerce and digital of how you support your customers. So, so for distributor, I mean, they're interacting directly with customers. MSA works through their distributors to work with their customers. So e-commerce for them is very important. On the product content side, which is really the, 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 the center of what Sean and I talked about in that session, the distributors need to aggregate or ingest content. They need to partner with MSA to get their content into their e-commerce platform to serve their customers. That's very, very different from what a manufacturer needs to do of a manufacturer needs to publish or syndicate their content to all their channel partners. Sean just mentioned that. So for, for a brand manufacturer like MSA, it's about when they think about e-commerce and e-commerce management and things like that, they're, they're really talking about collaborating with their channel partners to enable those channel partners to do the best commerce they can with the products they serve. And, and the fact is that in the world, they are light years ahead of where we're at in industrial, probably a, probably a, uh, a conservative thing to say is years. Um, 
we really have a, a, a content problem, industry-wide content problem, um, especially in industrial electrical plumbing, where, where it's difficult for distributors to even collaborate with their manufacturers to take content. It's, different for, it's difficult for manufacturers to be able to publish content to those distributors. And so we're at this infancy stage. And I think part of what Sean and I were trying to do was um, really, you know, uh, put a spark under the industry to try to encourage um, the increased collabor collaboration between vendor and, and distributor. I, I know, I know for you, Sean, you know, you guys, you guys have a PIM, but, but, but a PIM wasn't everything you needed, right? It, it didn't, didn't serve all your needs um, with, with that in mind, right? Yeah, we exactly. We, we, we needed uh, more than just that. We need to be able to, uh, to take this information and, and share it. Uh, and it's the tools to share it. And then it's the <clears throat> ability for the, our partners, our distributors to be able to receive it in the manner that they want. Um, I think you're right. There's, there's such a massive um, increase in the speed of having to do this right now for our channel partners and distributors that you know, they're, they're tripping over themselves and we're tripping over ourselves. And I think a lot of manufacturers in the same position where we're all kind of trying to do all this and you really need to do it collectively. We really need to look at this holistically and, and make sure that we're, we're, we're able to work together because if everybody does it in isolation, you're just never going to be able to scale this because it's, you know, everyone's going to have their own solution, uh, which doesn't match everybody else's solution. So what we were trying to say is, okay, we've, we've got this information. How do you need it? How do you want it? What is the best tool for us to be able to provide that to you so that it works for your system as well? And, and we're really trying to work really well with our, our, our distributors and channel partners you know, as, as a partner to, to provide that in a format that they need. So you know, that was what we really, really needed was how do we get this information into their hands that's good for us and good for them. Well, yeah, because when you look at the stats, oh, sorry, Justin, I just wanted I to know. throw out some some Go stats ahead. here for a second, just because it, it is an industry-wide problem. 69% of B2B customers, these are from uh, B2B commerce, uh, of 69% of B2B customers cite lack of images as a major problem on sites, almost 70%. Almost 70% of B2B buyers cite inadequate product content on their distributor sites. 76% cite a lack of shipping transparency because uh, that distributors lack supply chain data. So the you can see when you start getting those numbers down, the conversion rate uh, and the customer satisfaction is going to rise dramatically because we've seen that happen on the B2C side and you can extrapolate that. And certainly you can extrapolate it knowing that the stakes here are much higher because it's someone's job to get this right. So, sorry, Justin, I just no, want to get those out. No, those, those are exactly the statistics I was going to list off, Peter, because I, I, think, I think what's interesting about that is it's um, what, what, what bad product content breeds is distrust, right? Uh, distrust of that distributor's e-commerce uh, platform and the content that it has. And then the, the, the last one you cited there, Peter, you said 76% lack shipping transparency and supply chain data. That, that's not e-commerce data. That's like basic bread and butter supply chain data, like dimensions and weights, like the product is this big and it weighs this much so we can charge shipping for this much. Like that's the reason most of the industry still can't calculate shipping at the time of placing an order is just lacking that. So we can even, we can even remove e-commerce from this conversation and just say, isn't 
content data, product data, data about the products and the packages that it comes in, just critical to being able to deliver and get a product to an end customer. And I think it is. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with you on that, uh, Justin. I think there's there's more to e-commerce than just you know having a good website. It's, it's mm. being able to back it up, um, being able to back it up with those type of logistics. I mean, let's be honest, that's what Amazon is. It's an incredible logistics company with a really pretty uh, front-end uh, website. So it's it's their ability, your ability to to be able to tra- transport that stuff, manage it effectively, um, you know, have the right pricing, have the right sizes, dimensions, and then it, the other things that you obviously need in uh, in the industrial side, it's you know things like the heat tolerance, the intrinsic mm-hmm. safety, the, the sensor sensitivity, is it arc flash resistance, you know that type of information is now critical for a buyer to be able to to see and and and. Um, do his uh, research with because you know let's be honest especially right now there's not a whole lot of trade shows going on there's not a whole lot of um, face-to-face meetings taking place so you know every piece of uh, information you're getting is is online and you have to have that online and if you want to turn your uh, if a distributor wants to turn their site into a research um, site as opposed to merely an e-commerce transaction site they need to have more than just the the table stakes, which is you know the basic data that uh, you get, you know, the ship size dimensions, that type of thing. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise they're going to go to somewhere else. If I'm a if I'm a B two B buyer, I want to I want to use a similar site or the same site every day if I can to avoid having to flip between places and uh, suppliers. So if I've got a distributor that that really has or a supplier that has a really good um, site with really good data. At, that's where I'm going to stay. Why would I want to go somewhere else? I can do comparisons. If it gives me the ability to compare products and it's got a really nice list of uh, attributes that I can compare, then yeah, I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. And that's, that's part of what we're trying to get to. Mm. I mean, we, we're trying to rush from a state of nothing to, you know, to be, go beyond what B2C is already offering uh, you know, in, in a state, in, in a, a very, very short time span. So it's yeah. really a, someone has to drive this and someone has to be pushing it. And that's where we felt like it's really up to us. If we want this to work well, uh, if we want MSA to be you know, seen as, as a, um, a reliable, uh, as you say, consistent manufacturer, we need to try and make that consistent no matter where, no matter where anybody goes to look, they will see that same level of detail um, on a page. I, yeah, I remember, you, I remember a, um, a manufacturer that sent content to its largest distributor it's the first time they ever did that and they sent just kind of basic supply chain data and some e-commerce attributes and within 60 days the manufacturer the distributor reported back to the manufacturer they had doubled sales (laughs) but the fascinating part about that it goes to your point sean about research versus buying Mm -hmm. um 75 of the sales was actually offline increase Offline, not online. Like only 25% was an increase in online sales. 20, 75% was offline. It turns out that people inside of the distributor, as well as distributors, customers were researching online and finding better content from this manufacturer, making better decisions or informed decisions about the purchasing. And then they were purchasing in whatever way they wanted to, right? I mean, they, they might've sent a fax. I mean, who knows, right? They were texting, email, e-procurement, EDI, punch out, whatever way they were purchasing the, the research pattern, the, the research trust that they had in that product content surpassed the, the actual add to cart transaction part of e-commerce. And I think that's a 
huge differentiator in B2B that it's okay if someone doesn't purchase online. They're gonna they, they have to purchase the way their company purchases, right? But that right. research phase, I, I think that was a really critical yeah. point you brought up, Sean. Yeah, I think I, I, I really think if you're going to differentiate yourself as a uh, as a distributor in this market, you need to be able to create that. Everyone talks about omni-channel, uh, and and it's a great buzzword at the moment. But it it, it it's also a great uh, um, a great strategy, but it has to be consistent. If you if you're not consistent in it, then it falls apart. If you've got fantastic salespeople that are out there that just really know their stuff, but when I click on your website, it's just got you know so limited data it's scary i kind of lose my trust in in i trust your sales guy but i don't trust your company Mm -hmm. um so i think it's important to have that consistency across your your channels uh, as a distributor and and this is how you you do it you do it through content so man i just love what you just said i trust your sales guy but i don't trust your company that is the that is the difference right when you leave that person-to-person relationship and they go to other online to either remind themselves or get a little bit and they don't find it there there it's it'll be easier for them to walk away um or get frustrated and i think that's so important and you know sean when you you know when we lay out all of these pieces and the hard on infrastructure and the where's the data and everything it's a daunting job and so for our listeners can you walk through a little bit like so someone turned around and said, well, you, you showed us this problem, now go fix it. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about um, how you've approached it in a way that is manageable for your organization, but aggressive. I can perhaps give you some insights from not what to do. Um, <laughs> quite a few of those. Um, no, I, I think that the, the key thing is to really have a holistic approach to what you're doing. You need to you need to determine what it is you're going to do with this data, first of all. Like, How do you want to um, use it instead of assuming that if you have it, they will come because they won't. Um, putting all the data in one spot is is not just a solution. It's how do you use it thereafter? How do you want to use it? I mean, is it for your own e-commerce um, uh, needs or is it for a channel partner needs? Um, and then I would say you, you want to start small. I think that's one of the challenges and one of the things we learned was we said, great, let's just do this. And we went ahead and we put all the data in there and put all the part numbers into this, into our system. And it's like, Whoa, hang on a second. Um, There's just an awful lot of work to do here. And it just, it just seems incredibly daunting at that point. So we readjusted, recalibrated and said, okay, let's just start with a small number of uh, SKUs that aren't going to, you know, isn't going to be so daunting. And once we get those um, done and mapped and, and uh, you know, really the content to put in properly, it'll be easier to scale it because once you've mapped it, you've mapped it. Um, then as you add in part numbers, it's already, you know, it's going to populate itself. So that was the, this, the, the second thing we really had. And, and, and there really is a huge payoff in all this. I mean, we saw um, through improving our content uh, just on one site, we had a 30% improvement uh, in conversion rate. Uh, and that was just, wow. just adding, you know, adding detail to the, to the same page. So we already had a page and then it was, uh, we just added detail to it and a 30% increase in conversion rate. So it's not hundreds of percents, but it's, it's, it was good. It was, uh, I was, I was very impressed with that. And that wasn't even adding, you know, adding major amounts of A plus content and things like that. It was, uh, or enhanced content. It was purely just adding good data to it. I would have, though, 30%, I mean, 30% increase in conversion rate is, is pretty incredible, especially I'm sure if you, if you, 
I know it's difficult to get this data today, but if you have page views that increase and you get an increase in conversion rate, the math on that um, starts to get pretty incredible, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Then it's, yeah. If, you get, if you're getting more hits on a page and your conversion rate's increasing, yeah, then you, you're, you're laughing. <laughs> Granger, I, Granger has, uh, we use some of these statistics in our presentation, Sean, of, you know, uh, better content increases conversion rate on Granger.com. You know, the increase of what is 360 degrees spin um, images, 9.6 increase video, 7.5% increase images, quality images, 9% increase. And overall, better content, adding these, you know, above the kind of the description and the attributes increases by 9% or 9.2%. Um, so there's, there's a lot of value to it. But I think practically speaking, I think I've seen a lot of companies experience what you have. I mean, 30% increase is just incredible. Yeah. I mean, what, if you took, sorry. To, to no, interrupt, go ahead. But if you took that 9.2% increase, you can add that onto the 30% we had because ours was, uh, us didn't even have the video in there. <laughs> I mean, we did have images. True, true. We didn't have PDFs and 360 spins and CAD files on there. So yeah, there's a, a good uh, average, you know, good lot more that you can do. Just providing the content um, provided that increase for you. That's, that's significant. So Sean, like what's your team design for getting this done? Like what kind of team are you building for the future? So I think ultimately there's three core positions you, you want to have. Um, you want to have a director or manager that has responsibility for your PIM strategy. And that was going back to that holistic approach I was talking about. Mm. Like, what is your strategy? What do you intend to do with the information? Um, how does it fit in within the organization uh, and what you're doing now? Because one of the things we found was, you know, it's, it's really central and integral to our entire marketing and sales um, uh, organizations, it's not an add-on on the side. It's not something that you add on and, and you know you feed it from other places. You really need to make that. You really need to make your PIM system your uh, uh, source of truth. It needs to be how you, you need to figure out how this uh, works with product launches. Um, so it needs to be owned by someone. That strategy needs to be owned by somebody, and uh, you know that's obviously going to change and shift as things uh, occur. I mean. The, our world is changing rapidly. So you need to have someone that's you know, up to speed with it and uh, able to manage that strategy. Then I think you need a champion of the platform um, who it could be multiple people depending on your, si your size or your strategy. And that's someone that really owns how everything operates inside your, um, your PIM system. So this is a person that basically acts as a traffic cop, make sure, you know, keeps everything up to date, make sure the right people are adding the right things in, making sure all the mapping's correct, making sure that uh, each department is uh, responsible for their portions and is completing things properly. And then I think my dream person uh, is an online merchandiser. Uh, and I think that's a very peculiar skill set, especially on the B2B side, because you know, it's easy to do, it's easier to merchandise online, I think, as a consumer, because we all kind of know what we want in a consumer side of things. But having a B2B merchandiser, so it's someone that really understands what B2B buyers are looking for. Um, and, you know, we aren't all B2B buyers. We, I, I work in a B2B organization, but I would still have to really think hard about what, a, what one of my buyers really wants and needs inf uh, information-wise or content-wise 
to make that buying choice and that decision. So I think that's, that's if you can, once you've got everything set up to have that type of position, that an online merchandiser um, specific that has some, some B2B history or knowledge and understanding, uh, I think that would be the final. Yeah, Sean, I, I think that's a really good call out because it, it is different because the online merchandiser also needs to to be an, an, uh, someone who can think in SEO terms, right? Because so much of the content that you're putting into the product page, yes, it's meant to drive the experience on the page, but it's also, uh, you know, you're trying to win the algorithm. How, how can I make sure that, that that shopper, that buyer will find their way to my product page? And that's, that's all search term keywords, you know, and that's the stuff that it's coming off of the product page to do that. And, uh, and so, I think it is a different mindset and it's a, in a way, almost a, a marketer and a merchandiser mindset at the same time, which is a, it's a different hire than who you might've hired on the, you know, to do the catalog. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, finding that person will really turn your, uh, your whole system and, and its value around. Um, so like, is that, per, is that a person you think you can hire or is that, is that a, is that someone that has to come from industry like from from your company or for at least from someone in your industry, I I think there could be either or, but I think it would depend on uh, on the complexity of your particular B two B industry. Mm. For instance, somebody I, I think for us personally, it, it probably would come from within um, because we really want someone that understands things like gas detection, um, you know, complex fall protection things. There's there's it's a little bit complex and it's a little bit harder, and, and having somebody that's dealt with it and worked with it and understands the customer um, and what they might need is, is a really useful benefit. If your product line is, is you know, maybe a little bit um, more customer CPG type organization, you may not need that uh, depth of, uh, of understanding of uh, specific standards and regulations and complexities. But I, I think there's, uh, it could be either or. I think for us, I would probably look internally. And Sean, let me ask you, inside of your organization, you know, so often we hear that um, the people driving digital transformation at, at manufacturers are, in addition to doing their day job, are also throwing on their armor, getting on top of the steed with the lance and going out into the company, like, um, you know, um, agitating for change and educating. And it's a, it's a, it's an additional part of your job. And I was wondering at MSA, um, how have you found the rest of the organization, which may have been turned towards the, the traditional sales model? How have you found them sort of engaging in, in what you're doing? And, uh, and, and how has that sort of silo busting been going? I think for the most part, it's, it, it depends on the way your, your, your sales team certainly is compensated. Yeah. Um, I think often that's a key miss that uh, some organizations may have. Our particular uh, sales team isn't compensated on individual um, accounts and um, you know, territories. They're actually compensated on national numbers. So yes, there's certainly some um, merit-based uh, rewards per, uh, locally, but for the majority, it's actually national numbers. So ours has actually been fairly simple to, to implement. And I think the acceptance has been great and uh, has been really well received because they see it as a tool for them. Uh, they see it as of benefit to them. Uh, when you can have good content and when you, you're talking about, you know, working with the channel partners, 
they're like, great, that, that makes my life easier. It gives me something to be able to use as well. So we, we're very fortunate. And I think we, we, we had the right uh, compensation structure in the first place that enabled us to, uh, you know, to roll this out and it be accepted by our sales team. That's, that's really great to hear. We were talking with the chief digital officer of Don Foods, which is, um, you know, they supply bakery, bakeries, fly, flour, et cetera, to, you know, to industrial restaurants, I don't know, industrial is probably the wrong term, but uh, large scale restaurants and things like that. And it was the, what they, um, they really structured their digital business around enabling their salespeople to free up from the kind of restock sort of conversation and free it up for a more, you know, what are you trying to achieve with your business conversation? And can the same thing be said to be happening in the safety, in the safety sector? I think definitely, I think it can. Um, I, I think there's, you, you, that's what you want to allow your sales team to be able to do, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they, you want them to be consultants, you want them to be adding value to your, your customers. Um, if they're the ones that are, are providing weights and measures and, and, you know, things like heat loads and stuff like that, that's not what you want to be paying a salesperson to do. They really don't need to be able to do that. And as, as your, your case you're talking about, yeah, having them wandering around to, you know, doing online stock or doing uh, in-person stock fills and things like that, that's, you know, that's an expensive, <laughs> expensive process and uh, not very scalable. Uh, I think that the problem is it just, you, you can't scale your people. There's only so many hours in a day and there's only so many places a person could drive to. Um, so you, whatever you do, look at it as, as how do I scale this? What's the best way for me to add value into the process? So my sales team is really adding uh, value to the channel partners, adding value to the customer, as opposed to merely providing, you know, information that traditionally would have been held in a in a catalog somewhere um, or you know through a, a customer service line or something like that it's an exciting path that you're on Sean and so I, I have to ask you uh, what is on your wish list for for 2021 where are you putting your digital energies this year what are you excited about um for us it's really for me personally it's it's about analytics and um Providing some actionable data, actionable data for our uh, key channel partners to improve both our position on their e-commerce sites and to improve their conversion rates. Um, you know, it's one thing for a, a channel partner or distributor to say, "Hey, listen, you know, you, you're our number one provider of you know, gas detectors. You, 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 you guys are great." And you do a search on their site for gas detectors, and you know, we barely make the top top ten products. Um, you know to be able to go back and say, hey, listen, thank you for, for making us number one. That's awesome. We appreciate it, but that's not what's coming up on your website. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, have those, those kind of conversations to be able to talk to them and then to, you know, be able to review the content and say, listen, you know, you, you, you've got some of our products, you're missing some. Um, so, you know, talk about what, um, uh, what products they have on their website. Maybe we can improve them. You're missing some of the key ones that we see a lot of traction on. Uh, and then the content and looking at what's on those um, uh, sites as well. So you, you've got one image, you know, we've got three great images. And are you able to put 360 images on your site? Are you able to do, uh, you know, put some um, PDF bulletins on there as well? What other data are you looking for that we can improve? So that's, it's turning, I want to start being a little bit more scientific about it and actually looking at what they've got uh, and what we can provide to help improve you know, their sites, their conversions, and obviously to improve our position on the, their website as well. 
A little shoot, shoot above my, uh, we'll punch above my weight class a little bit if we can. That's great. I mean, th- throughout this this uh, this podcast, the the word that keeps coming to my mind that we've talked about is is building trust, and you're doing it throughout the supply chain. You're not just sort of building trust with the end buyer by making sure that data there. You're actually bringing data to your channel partners to to build that trust that you're a partner that they want to invest in and and work with. And that's just that's just smart business. Well, I hope so. well i can't wait to see how 2021 goes for you um uh justin as always thank you for being here and sean thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your strategy with us it's it's really inspiring and i appreciate you investing in the digital shelf institute community again thank you very much for having me i appreciate it and uh it was been a lot of fun thanks for coming sean thank you thanks to sean for sharing his insights If this podcast got you thinking, please share it with your colleagues. And thanks, as always, for being part of our community.